0: Thanks so much
1: for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible polyamorous writer and educator, Franklin Vaux. Hello, Franklin, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to go beyond monogamy. And for those that don't know, Franklin has been ideologically polyamorous his entire life, functionally polyamorous since 1984, and writing about polyamory since 1998. He started practicing non-monogamy from the moment he started becoming aware that boys and girls are different. Today he is married, has several partners, and lives in Portland, Oregon. He is a professional writer who writes fiction and non-fiction on everything from ethics to transhumanism to computer security. He is the author of The Game Changer, a memoir of disruptive love, the co-author of the nonfiction book More Than Two, and the steampunk alternate history novel Black Iron. And he has a new novel coming out in 2021, co-authored with Eunice Hung. How are you doing today, Franklin?
0: Oh, I can't say I haven't been not unwell, thanks.
1: I have so many questions and I'm so excited about today's topic because... We've mentioned open relationships, polyamory very briefly in many of our other episodes. Often we will have a guest and they'll say something like, oh, well, it's you know, it's a little different if you're in an open relationship. But we haven't really gotten down to the nitty gritty about different ways to relate in a non-monogamous way and just the challenges one might encounter. Now, before we get into going beyond monogamy, I want to be clear about one thing because I don't want anyone to run away and think that we're poo-pooing, living a monogamous lifestyle. So you wouldn't say that non-monogamy swinging polyamory is a more evolved way of relating than monogamy, would you? I would not say that, no. I would
0: absolutely not say that. What I would say is that we live in a world that has almost 8 billion people in it right now, and different people want and need different things from their relationships – so it's not really reasonable to say that just one way of having relationships is going to be a good fit for everyone.
1: Right, and I think a lot of people think that monogamy is the only way. So for those that are hearing this term for the first time, what is polyamory? Wow,
0: that's um, <laughs> that's one of those questions that can get a dozen different answers um, depending on who you ask. The simplest definition and the one that I tend to use is that Polyamory is either the state or the practice of having multiple loving, committed romantic relationships at the same time, where everybody who's involved knows about it and is not on board with it. So that means you're not like cheating or keeping a, a secret mistress on the side, and it also means that it's a little bit different from, say, swinging, where. You have recreational sex outside of your relationships, but it doesn't necessarily get attached to, you know, a romantic relationship.
1: So what might be a sign that somebody would be suited for polyamory? The most obvious signs are that you fall in love with more than
0: one person at the same time and you think it's okay to have more than one relationship at the same time. If those things are true for you, probably a pretty good hint that you might be polyamorous.
1: Now, I feel like that's a very common subject of many romantic comedies where one person is involved with somebody and then they start getting attracted to somebody else and they have to choose and they kind of bump into all sorts of cliches like, well, if you fell in love with this person, then clearly you weren't in love with the original person. Oh, God. (laughs) So there are a lot of like myths and cliches that we kind of run into. And also, a lot of people do think that being attractive to two people is wrong or there might be something wrong in your current relationship if you are attracted to other people. And so how do we get around that? How do we not think that if we are attracted to somebody else and therefore we have to discard the current relationship that we're in?
0: I think that attitude sort of says something really negative about human beings. I mean, when it comes to anything except romantic relationships... We all already know that you can love more than one person at the same time. Like, you have two parents. You probably love your parents, right? You may have siblings that you love, and you know that's not a problem. If I love my dad, that means that I can't possibly love my mother. That doesn't make any sense at all. But when it comes to romantic relationships, we throw away all the things that we already know about how love and attachment and commitment work, and we say, oh, no, 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 that, that, that doesn't apply to romantic relationships. You can only romantically love one person at, the, at a time. Well, why? I mean, it's not like we're robots, right? We're not all androids. We don't have one-bit emotion chips that, you know, the love circuits shut down as soon as you're in love with somebody else. You know, that, that isn't the way human beings work. And I think that if we acknowledged that, a lot of romantic comedies would have to either change their plots or they'd suddenly become about five minutes long.
1: It's true. A lot of romantic comedies would need to change their plots if people just actually talked about things openly and honestly. (laughs) You know, I find there's you know, there's obviously different polyamorous camps in the world and I feel like there are some people who think of polyamory as like the PhD of relationships that there are numerous skills and and communication techniques that you need to learn and and managing jealousy that you need to learn before you get into it. But then there are other camps who say actually this is part of my identity. And as soon as I went into this world, everything became so much easier than being squeezed into a monogamous box. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what your opinion is. Would you say it's the PhD of relationships and you need to learn a million and one communication techniques and jealousy management skills? Or would you say for a lot of people, it's actually much easier?
0: Well, polyamorous relationships are relationships. And the same skills that you use in a monogamous relationship also serve you in polyamorous relationships and vice versa. I don't think it's a PhD approach to relationships because it's not like you're doing anything that doesn't work in any other relationship style. The only difference is that in a lot of societies, we're given sort of a prepackaged set of assumptions about what a monogamous relationship is supposed to look like, right? And you You buy the entire package and it's already put together for you so you don't have to think about it as much. But everything that you will ever use in a polyamorous relationship, um, communication, uh, learning how to be compassionate, learning to see your partner as a human being, those things all serve you in monogamy as well. And I think when it comes to what's easier, it's easier when your relationship's are a good fit for your natural inclinations. Like if you don't want monogamy, non-monogamous relationships are gonna be easier for you. If you want monogamy, monogamous relationships are gonna be easier for you. And that's what I mean when I say that in a world of you know almost eight billion people, there's more than one right way to have a relationship. All of those people all have different needs. They all bring different things to their relationship lives and their romantic lives. And the easiest relationships are going to be the ones that best fit you and your partner.
1: So it's easier when your relationships are a good fit for your natural inclinations. And I'm wondering, what are some of those natural inclinations that people have and when they might want to move forward with them because there is a stereotype of like the seven-year itch, right? Or some people like think it's shortened now and it's like the three-year itch. So there are sometimes we get like certain desires that actually, if we just watch the desire and see where it comes from, it can be really useful in our relationship. But then there are other desires that we have that are really authentic to who we are as a human being. So you mentioned in your bio that you were like philosophically geared towards polyamory and there are other people that might be like politically geared towards polyamory. What are some other reasons why somebody might feel that polyamory is the right way for them?
0: I think at the end of the day, the simple answer to that question is just polyamory is a good fit for you if you... See yourself loving more than one person and being able to be in more than one committed relationship at the same time. And you also want those things for your partners as well, that you don't have a driving need to be your partners one and only. That an environment where you are able to love somebody and that doesn't mean that you have to switch off your love circuits for anybody else seems like it agrees with you, it fits with you. And at the same time, you also don't need your partners to love you and only you. When that happens, I think that probably means that polyamory is a good fit for you. And there are a lot of reasons that people can come to polyamory. I mean, I've never understood monogamy. It's never made any sense to me. So I don't really understand what it is that people see in monogamy that is so important to them there are people for whom it is important and I don't need to understand that in order to know that monogamy is the best fit for them and that they're not suitable partners for me and I'm not suitable partners for them. But at the end of the day, yeah, it really does come down to do you want to love more than one person at a time? Are you okay with your partners loving more than one person at a time? If the answer is yes, there's a good chance I'd say you're probably polyamorous.
1: So let's take this idea one step further because there might be a lot of listeners who do think in theory it would be a good idea but then in practice would be a total mess right you know some people hear wow you you know you have two boyfriends." that sounds like really complicated or of course there's the other barrier that jealousy is this emotion that would clearly make such an endeavor just fall flat on its face So for the people that, actually, this does sound really interesting, but it sounds really complicated and really emotionally challenging. I might get triggered. These things might happen. How do we get over these barriers?
0: Well, the jealousy thing is something that we tend to get a lot of sort of prepackaged cultural assumptions about what jealousy is and what jealousy looks like and how we're supposed to deal with it. And I think jealousy is a natural emotion. And I think that everybody feels jealousy uh, or almost everybody feels jealousy. But it doesn't have to be the monster under your bed. It doesn't have to be this big, scary bugaboo, and it doesn't have to control what you do. I think in a lot of ways, we're taught that that's what jealousy should be. Like, oh my God, don't you feel jealous? If you feel jealous, that would ruin everything. We don't say that about any other type of emotion. We don't say, well, you know, you should never get involved in a relationship with somebody because you might feel sad. And if you feel sad, that will destroy your relationship or... You know, you should never eat lunch because you'll just get hungry. And, you know, we we sort of let jealousy rule our lives in a way that we would think would be very weird for any other kind of feeling or emotion. And that causes us sometimes to do some really weird stuff. I just read online a story about a man who didn't have a girlfriend And he had a roommate who was a foreign exchange student and she was living with him because she needed a place to stay. And then he got a girlfriend and his girlfriend became really, really jealous and said, well, you have to get rid of your roommate because I can't stand the thought of you having a female roommate. So he kicked her out on the street and this foreign exchange student is Mm. homeless now. That's not cool. That's what happens when we give jealousy this almost mythical power to control our lives and, and we don't say, well, yeah, you can feel jealousy, but like, it's like any other feeling and we can work through it and we can find constructive ways to deal with it. So when you get that sort of cultural expectation that jealousy is this scary monster that ruins everything that you touch and rules your life and if you try to engage in polyamory, then you'll get jealous and, and jealousy will spell the end of everything then yeah, it becomes a lot harder and a lot more complicated to have polyamorous relationships. When you say jealousy is a feeling, it's a, an emotion that I might experience, and I can talk to my partner about it, and I can find constructive ways to deal with it, and it doesn't have to rule my life, things change.
1: No, I totally agree with you that we do give jealousy this mythical power to control our lives and Oftentimes, you know, if somebody catches their partner with another person, then they feel like the freak out that occurs is totally justified. Mm -hmm. And along this path of sort of exploring relationships with other people, I'm also wondering, what are some other minds in the minefield we want to look out for other than just jealousy? Because you write that in your journey that you've made just about every mistake is possible to make in polyamorous relationships. So I'm curious, what are some common mistakes that people make when exploring polyamory for the first time?
0: Yeah, the um, when I was working on my memoir, The Game Changer, I uh, referred to it as the big book of Franklin Gets It Wrong. Because it really does sort of spell out a lot of the things that I did wrong and a lot of the mistakes that I made. One of the most basic of those mistakes was believing that there was nobody else like me, that there was nobody else who really wanted the things that I wanted. And so all of my relationships would always have to be compromised. That shaped a lot of the things that happened in my relationships and has continued to have an effect on my relationships, you know, even after I realized that there was a poly community out there and there were whole worlds of people who didn't value monogamy and wanted the same things that I did. And what that meant was that when I was in a relationship, I believed that I needed to be really careful about always obeying my relationship partner, giving her control over my other relationships, allowing her to set the tone of my other relationships. And that meant that I didn't stand up for myself or my other relationships. That was a difficult lesson to learn that it is okay to want to have more than one relationship. It is okay to want to be polyamorous and it's okay to stand up for your partners and to stand up for your relationships and to say, hey, this is the way that I want to live my life, and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: So how did you find that courage to begin to stand up for yourself?
0: It wasn't until the end of my relationship with my ex-wife, who had other partners but self-identified as monogamous despite that, that I really started thinking about how I needed to to more fully own the fact that I was polyamorous and that I would only choose polyamorous partners and even if I found myself really attracted to somebody else. And that became really sort of a key part of it all. Partner selection can really steer you wrong. It sounds so obvious now when I look back at it, but it wasn't obvious, you know, back before there was a poly community 20 years ago when I was still trying to figure all of this out. If you want a relationship that looks a certain way, you'll be most successful if you choose partners who also want the
1: same things. That's the challenge, right? Finding that partner.
0: (laughs) It can be. And it was a lot harder then than it is now. And I think now what we've got is entire communities of people who uh, have found each other online and who have created sort of in-person communities where you can actually meet people who don't want the stereotypical straight ahead monogamous relationship. And that's really made things a lot easier. There are lots and lots of polyamorous people out there. And polyamorous people organize. So you can find whole communities and and whole Facebook groups and whole, you know, in person meetup groups of people who want polyamorous relationships. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will find people who are compatible with you right away because there are a lot of different approaches to polyamory. But it's so much easier when you say, I don't have to date somebody just because I fancy them or even I don't have to be with somebody just because I've fallen in love with them. I can still make choices to be with people who are compatible with me.
1: When you start bringing up like more and more partners and accounting for more and more people and not letting one person have too much of a say in another relationship, sounds to me like things are getting a little bit more complicated. So I wanted to talk about those complications because I do remember reading in one of Esther Perel's book that all relationships are a very delicate balance of autonomy and connection is that we live in like a very individualistic society and we want to meet our own needs and also be in our relationship. And then at one point, she described something like polyamory as like a multi-car pileup. <laughs> because basically, you have five, six, seven, eight people who have their own needs and their own desires and their own needs for things to be a certain way. And I do think when a lot of people think about having multiple relationships, it gets exponential, right? When you know, in terms of the amount of connections that people can have when you add more people. So... How do you sort through it all? How do you work with multiple conflicting needs and desires in intimate relationships?
0: You know, we talk about things like that as if they are unique to romantic relationships, but they're really not. If you look at a family that has multiple children, for example, or an extended family where you've got uncles and aunts and grandparents, you have the same kind of things. You have multiple people in intimate relationships who have different needs and you learn how to navigate them. It's like anything else, you know, we live in a society that carves out special exceptions for romantic relationships and says, oh, well, you know, these things are all different about romantic relationships. And I don't think that's necessarily true. We know in families, and particularly in large families, that different people come together, they have different needs, and yet you can still make it work. So why can't we do that with multiple romantic relationships? And the answer is, I think we can But we have to stop thinking about romantic relationships as though they're some kind of special case and acknowledge that the complications we talk about in polyamorous relationships are the same as the complications we talk about in other kinds of relationships. And the fact that they're romantic relationships doesn't make them intrinsically different. The same skills and the same tools and the same communication strategies still work in
1: all of them. It's true. You know, just in our lives, we have to balance our career, we have to balance our passions, our hobbies, our family and our friends. So too, in multiple intimate relationships, there also comes that level of prioritization. So along with complications, I want to mind tackling some misconceptions. So a very common one is, well, you're just having your cake and eating it too. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) What's your opinion on that?
0: Wow. It's hard to know even where to start with that. Like, what exactly is the cake? Is the cake supposed to be sex? Is the cake supposed to be intimacy? And wow, isn't that like really objectifying? Like, seriously, you're considering your intimate romantic partners that you love to be a confection that you eat? You know, I mean, no, no. Polyamory is not like having your cake and eating it too. That's as silly as saying, well, if you have two children, then you're having your cake and eating it too. Like, wait, what? No, polyamory is about forging multiple intimate relationships. And as a former partner of mine once said, it's closer to managing the entire bakery than it is to having your cake and eating it too.
1: Yeah, that manage the entire bakery is important too because another misconception people have is something along the lines of, well, it sounds like you are just doing whatever you want, and most polyamorous people. So actually, it's quite the opposite. Yeah, and that's polyamory isn't just doing whatever you want, right?
0: (laughs) No, it really isn't. So polyamory. If you want to just do whatever you want, and I've heard that too, and I've heard people say, "Oh well, you just want to shag a bunch of people or whatever if you want if that's what you want, there are easier ways to do it <laughs> if you aren't interested in love and commitment, then you can just have a lot of casual sex, and that's so much easier than maintaining multiple you know committed relationships mm. Polyamory is not about doing what you want, and it often means not doing what you want, like there are people who I have wanted to date and they don't want the same things that I want. And so even though I feel this connection with them, I say, no, there are many opportunities where I have declined offers of sex because the person who was interested in having sex with me didn't want the same thing that I wanted or didn't think that it meant the same thing that I meant. Like I tend to get attached to my lovers. And so I want at least the possibility of something more than just casual sex. And so I've actually declined offers of casual sex. It isn't about doing what you want. It's about building a life where you have the opportunity for connection and love and commitment that enriches your life and enriches the life of the people around you.
1: That's so beautiful. Building a life where you have the opportunity for connection and love and commitment that enriches the life of people around you. Because I do think when people do hear about open relationships, meaning non-monogamy, they do just think it's for the sex. Like, it's, you just want to have sex with a lot of people, and then this is how you do it. But it's not just about the sex, right? It's about that love and connection.
0: And sometimes it's not about the sex at all. I mean, there are asexual people who are polyamorous, and that's that's a thing that happens.
1: Yeah, it's very true. Another misconception is that it's just about the sex or that polyamory just sounds like cheating with a lot of extra steps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love this idea that polyamory is just your partner lets you cheat because kind of by definition, that can't happen. Cheating means breaking the rules of your relationship. Like, is it cheating in cards to look at another player's cards? in some games it is in some card games it's not it depends on the rules of that game different relationships have different rules if it isn't against the rules of the relationship it isn't cheating by definition one of the things that happens when we get these these prepackaged ideas about what relationships are supposed to look like is people are all like well i know what cheating is everything on this list is cheating like there's one sort of master list of what constitutes cheating No, cheating is breaking the rules of your relationship. Your relationship isn't like anybody else's. And so that means that you and your partner or your partners decide on what the rules are.
1: So let's get into that, coming up with the rules for you and your partner. So, you know, monogamy offers this really wonderful platter, like many of the parameters are, are set or at least known from being immersed in a more monogamous culture. And I'm almost wondering what would be like like the premarital counseling version of a couple who is interested in exploring something like non-monogamy in terms of what are the conversations they want to have? What are the resources they want to look into? What are the really honest feelings that a couple should express to each other to kind of ensure the success of the relationship as they explore different paradigms of relating?
0: I don't know if there's anything you can do that will guarantee success. You know, it's hard to ensure the success of a relationship because people are complicated and people are messy and things change. The best that you can do is try to stack the deck in favor of success. And I think the way you do that in polyamorous relationships is not that much different from the way you do it in monogamous relationships. You commit yourself to talking openly with your partner, even when it's uncomfortable you tell your partner the truth. You treat your partner with compassion and respect. You recognize that your partner is a human being and has all of the needs and all of the feelings and the entire rich lived experience that comes with being a human being. They're not just a thing that you get your needs met from. And when you get into polyamory in specific, I think that it's important to talk about what that means to you, and more importantly, what that looks like to you. There are a lot of different ways to approach polyamory. Some people want a polyamorous network where you know everybody can gather around the kitchen table and, and have breakfast together, and everybody is involved with everybody else's life in some way, not necessarily romantically or sexually, but they want these sort of webs of connection. Some people are more solo poly. They don't want to live with a partner. They don't want the things that we normally associate with a monogamous relationship, like they may not ever, for example, get married. They may not ever, for example, share a bank account with somebody. But they still want that intimacy. They still want that connection. They just don't want the packaged deal that comes along with it for most people. And those are two very different approaches to polyamory. And it's important to talk about... What does that mean to you? What what are your goals? What are you aiming toward? How do you see that happening? How do you see polyamory meeting your needs? What does it look like on a more day-to-day level? What are your expectations around, for example, disclosure of sex or of new connections? Is it okay if your partner kisses somebody that you don't know about yet because they've just found this connection? Do you need to know about it in advance? What are your sexual boundaries around things like uh, sexual health and safer sex practices? We don't usually think of monogamous relationships as starting with a conversation about these things, and maybe we should because I think they would benefit monogamous relationships too. I think if we talked about what our needs and expectations were up front in monogamous relationships, it would probably benefit a lot of people and help make a lot of relationships healthier. But it's particularly important in polyamorous relationships.
1: So I love that you both mentioned like certain values we want to bring into our relationship and then offered some concrete steps. So bringing passion into relationship, respect, recognizing your partner as a human being, which of course works with no matter whatever relationship paradigm that you are in. But then having those really important conversations around safe sex and around expectations around what you want communicated when your partner is with somebody else. And another scenario I'd love to kind of toss at you is when there's one partner in a relationship who wants to explore things a little bit more than the other partner and how to broach the subject, so to speak. If partner A says, you know what, I'm really curious about exploring intimate connection with other people and partner B could very easily hear that and become emotionally distressed. Maybe they think they're on the way to breaking up. Maybe they think they're not enough. Maybe they think something's wrong with them. So what's the best way to kind of delicately broach the subject of somebody that you're currently in an intimate relationship with to put yourselves on the journey of exploring things with other people? that's a tough one um, because
0: a lot of people do start relationships without ever having those conversations that I was just talking about, you know, about what you want your relationships to look like and the things that are important to you in relationship. And so you can end up finding yourself in a monogamous relationship more or less by default without ever having talked about things like that. And that isn't just something that affects people who are interested in polyamory. I've seen this affect people who are interested in BDSM and kink, for example. Like, you know, I've always wanted to explore kink. I've always wanted to try these things. Like I've always wanted to try tying up a partner in bed, but we never talked about it at the start of the relationship. How do I delicately bring that up now? And the answer is it's going to be scary. No matter how you approach it, it's going to be scary. There is always the chance that you're going to find out that you and your partner are not on the same page about this and there's nothing you can do about that. What I generally suggest is approach it from a place of genuine curiosity about how your partner feels. Approach it from a place of learning more about this person that you love. And you do that not by starting with what you want, but by asking what they want. How do you feel about what does a perfect relationship look like to you? What do you think of, you know, what do you think of tying people up in bed? What do you think of non-monogamy? What do you value? If you could have your relationship look like anything in the world that you wanted it to look like, what would it look like? And when you do that, you engage the other person because you're coming from a place where you're sincerely learning more about the other person. And I think that really makes, uh, makes it a lot less scary, but it also makes it a lot more compassionate.
1: It also just seems like it's going to build intimacy that way too, just being genuinely curious about how your partner feels. So you mentioned earlier that basically someone who might be wanting to explore polyamory, someone who wants to be with more than one person. And there's a certain like egalitarian assumption along that line. And I'm wondering, we can be with more than one person many different ways. So there are some people who I know approach polyamory by entering into a monogamous relationship. And they say something like, you know, let's really create a solid foundation, stay mono two, three years, and then thinking about opening it up later on. There are others who want to practice like a hierarchical form of polyamory, say our relationship is the priority. And I'm wondering, what do you think about different strategies and other different ways of relating that might be more conducive to a person's personal preferences?
0: I think that what happens is we try to make ourselves safe in our relationship. And a lot of the strategies that people use are kind of aimed at trying to preserve a sense of safety. Like hierarchy, in my experience, is all about trying to feel safe in your relationship, trying to feel like if things get too much, you have an out switch, right? Like trying to know that you're always be the priority if things go wrong. And I'm a pragmatist. I tend to value not what sounds good in theory or in philosophy, but what actually works on the ground. And what I have discovered is that when you try to use rules or hierarchy or strategies to ensure the safety of your relationship, that usually doesn't work. It seems like it does on paper. I mean, it seems like it's a really obvious and logical thing to do on paper, but we forget how messy and complicated human beings are. And one of the places that can really end up blowing up in your face, with hierarchy particularly, is that we forget that when we try to exert control over another person's relationship, we can actually end up damaging that person and damaging our relationship with them. This is something that I've seen and experienced multiple times. When you tell your lover, well, I know you're in love with this other person, but I come first and so I want you to stop that relationship with that other person, you hurt your partner, you break your partner's heart. When you demand that your partner break it off with somebody that they genuinely feel a real intimacy and connection with and they genuinely love, you're going to break their heart. And breaking your partner's heart is not a good long-term strategy for a strong relationship with your partner. So I tend to more favor things that work by emphasizing the idea that there are a lot of different ways that we can get our needs met in relationship. Our relationships don't have to look like just one thing. The more flexible we can be and the more that we can acknowledge that our partners are real people and have their own needs, the more we can build resilient foundations for our relationships that are likely to survive changes. And that's what it comes down to, is not building a structure of rules that controls our relationships so that they stay the same so that we feel safe, but building a really resilient foundation for our relationships so that when things change, we believe that we can still make things work.
1: So you're not a fan of rules as they tend to work on paper, but life is messy. You can't make a rule for everything. Mm-hmm,
0: exactly, exactly. And uh-huh. the more you try to rules lawyer and you know run things the way some people run role-playing games... The more you find these weird edge cases and these things where you feel like you've been betrayed, but your partner says, well, technically the rule says X, Y, and Z, and I didn't technically violate the letter of the rule, so I don't know why you're feeling this way. And that doesn't lead to a happy place for anybody.
1: So you mentioned building resilient foundations that are likely to survive changes. Such a beautiful phrase and applies to all relationships, right? You know, COVID is a big change, fires and love for a big change, all sorts of chains. We want to be able to weather the storm in our relationship. So I'm just wondering, what are some of those foundations we want to cultivate? I think the foundations that
0: really help resiliency are an idea of solid self esteem and self efficacy. Come from a starting position where you believe my lover is with me because they love me and they. They believe that I add value to their life. Not my lover doesn't really love me. I'm no good, and if my lover finds somebody better than me, they're going to want to leave me. Self-efficacy and self-esteem really do help in relationships, and they help build that um, that solid foundation. And another one is flexibility. Like when we need something, particularly when we need some kind of expression of love and intimacy from a partner. We tend to get attached sometimes to exactly the form that that takes and not open to actually talking with our lover and saying, here's the need that I'm trying to get met. Here is the thing that I'm feeling. Can you help me with this? Instead, we say, here's the thing I'm feeling. Here's the need I'm trying to get met. Here's what you need to do. And I think when we step away from the here's what you need to do and start moving more toward the what can we do to work together to have this need met? How do you feel about this? And what do you think about trying some things to help me get these needs met? We start moving toward more
1: resilient relationships. It's true. Solid self-esteem and self-efficacy. It's so important to fill up our own cup and not expect others to do it for us.
0: And it's incredible how simply believing that you can build a relationship that weathers changes helps you build a relationship that weathers changes.
1: Another question I wanted to have for you is, Tying into what we said at the beginning, often people have a lot of misconceptions about polyamory, but I've also talked to a lot of people who have had one or two like negative experiences with polyamory and then totally sworn it off. And like a really silly example is I was recently talking to somebody and and she said that she cultivated a a connection with this guy online and, you know, it it was like going back and forth for about three, four months. And then at about like the four month mark, the guy revealed that he has a girlfriend and basically it was kind of grooming her to join their relationship. And I have heard a lot of kind of like nightmare stories, you might call them, from people who who did feel that they were mistreated, misled in their experience with certain people in the polyamorous community and then kind of swore it off altogether. And I'm wondering what you think about the sort of like, polyamorous nightmares that you hear about
0: (laughs) well these are not actually things that are specific to polyamory either and what's weird about that is that we don't say well you know I tried to have this monogamous relationship with this guy and it didn't work out and he did all of these things so that proves that monogamy doesn't work right like we do this thing where we say well if we can point to this bad experience or this person did this thing that proves that polyamory doesn't work but we don't say the same thing about monogamy And in fact, the reality is that people are people and sometimes people get hurt and sometimes relationships don't work. That doesn't necessarily mean that the form of the relationship can never work. Your relationship with that person didn't work. Things didn't go the way you wanted them to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that kind of relationship can't work. And we understand that when it comes to monogamy, but we still fall into that trap when it comes to polyamory.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. He said, you know, some people conclude that polyamory doesn't work. And there's actually some researcher who conclude that something like non-monogamy is simply not possible in the human species. Like I know Helen Fisher, for example, is is a big proponent that like non-monogamy doesn't work. But of course, you're an example of somebody who it does work. And of course, there are many examples of people who do make it work. And I'm wondering, you know, what would you say really separates a really successful polyamorous person from somebody who struggles and has a lot of pain in in their attempt at maintaining multiple intimate relationships?
0: I think the things that separate a person from in successful poly relationships from a person who struggles with polyamory are the same things that a person who struggles in monogamous relationships separates from a person who is successful in monogamous relationships. It's easier when you come from a place of trust in your partner. If you believe that your partner is looking to get rid of you, you're always going to suffer. It's easier when you come from a place of open communication. If you don't communicate openly, you're going to suffer. It's easier when you find partners who fit what you want than when you find partners more or less by accident. And then you say, well, I'm in love with this person now, so it doesn't matter. We have to be together. And this is a very, very common approach that I've seen a lot of people in monogamous relationships take. Well, you know, I didn't really want to get in this relationship, but I fell for them. And so now I have to be with them. Well, no, you really don't. You can make choices. And when you do that, your
1: relationships work better. It's so nice that the same skills apply to all relationships.
0: At the end of the day, we're all human beings. And there is not anything that is intrinsically different about monogamy and polyamory, except for the number of people involved. It's not like, you know, you need any sort of special skills for one that you don't need for the other.
1: I just want to ask, we're running just a bit low on time, but I want to just kind of get a gauge from you about the popularity and also growing popularity of non-monogamous and poly relationship. Some people might be hearing this for the first time in this episode, but some people might be quite experienced with it. I know even the term polyamory is a relatively new term. Mm-hmm. I think it was coined in the 80s. I the say. Oxford
0: English Dictionary says 1992, if I
1: remember correctly. I might be wrong about that. Well, non-monogamy in general you know, has been practiced in different cultures all over the world. is Something like polyamory is actually quite new. So you mentioned earlier that whatever desires that you have and whatever relationship format that you have, there's somebody and there's multiple people out there who want very similar things. So I'm kind of curious about, well, how hard is it going to be to find some of these people? You're kind of immersed in the polyamory community. So what's the prevalence of people's non-monogamous preferences? Do you have any percentages? Or also, like, do you find that the practice is growing?
0: Definitely the uh, knowledge and awareness of the practice is growing. There's no question about that. And I really think it's interesting that... Uh, You know, the millennials now, the millennial generation are probably the first generation in at least Western history for whom it's not just blindly assumed that monogamy is the only option. So the millennials are really going to be the people who uh, show us what this looks like, I think. It's tough to find hard statistics. There's not a lot of research about this. A lot of researchers find it difficult to get funding for any kind of research about human sexuality or human relationships, and particularly non-traditional human sexuality and relationships, I have seen a site that's floated around the poly scene for a while that says that people who are college-age now, about 20% of them have tried some variety of consensual non-monogamy. That doesn't necessarily mean polyamory, but some form of open, deliberate, ethical non-monogamy and 20% sounds reasonable to me. I don't know how well that applies to people who will then become polyamorous long term or who tried specifically polyamory. I don't know if you can find any really hard numbers on that. And I would be personally surprised if it was less than 5%, but I would also be personally surprised if it was more than maybe 10 or 15% of the people out there. That doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm saying that it's between 5 and 15%. It means that that's sort of my intuition based on my own experiences, but obviously those are going to be limited. So you can't draw too many conclusions from that. And that really hard scientific, well-researched empirical numbers don't exist. 20%
1: college students have tried some form of it. It's a big proportion.
0: It is. It is. And it means that there's a lot of interest in this and probably always has been. And the fact that we live in societies that have for so long so strongly encouraged monogamy and, you know, told us that monogamy is the only option means that there have been a lot of people throughout history who really haven't been satisfied in their
1: relationships so thank you so much, Franklin, for coming onto to this show and sharing us all your wisdom on what it means to be polyamorous and how to practice it in our daily lives. And I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? There is more than one right way to do love. The fact
0: that you want something that doesn't look like what most of the people around you want is okay. Life doesn't come in one-size-fits-all. There's more
1: than one right way to live it. Wonderful. More than one right way to do love. And we encourage you to find your way. Thank you so much, Franklin, for coming on to the show. For our listeners to want to learn more about you, where can they find you? You can find
0: my writings specifically about polyamory at morethan2.com. You can find more about me at franklinvo.com. Pretty simple. Um, well, if you can get past the spelling of the name, of course, but in theory, pretty <laughs> simple. And you can find links on uh, franklinvo.com to a lot of my other projects as well.
1: Wonderful. Thanks again so much, Franklin, for coming on to the show and sharing your insight and wisdom. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you recognize that there is more than one right way to do love. You can be in love with multiple people at the same time. And guess what? The same skills that will help you navigate multiple relationships apply to all of your relationships. Being honest, being respectful, coming from a foundation of trust and a willingness to be vulnerable and talk about your feelings and desires. Thanks again for listening. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Franklin.
0: It was lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.